Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Eddie Glazner to the Philosophy Podcast. Eddie is a former Notre Dame defenseman, a current PLL Redwoods defenseman. He is a bond trader in New York City, all-around great guy, and especially a great guy to talk across with. How you doing, Eddie? I'm good. I'm good, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. the uh, the hype speech there. <laughs> you got it, man. A lot of love. Uh, Jerry Byrne suggested that I get an introduction to you about five or six months ago. I was, I'm always bugging him about defense. And he was like, you know, you really got to talk to Eddie Glazner and Matt Landis, and Garrett Eppel. Um, and uh, he gave me your guys' numbers. And uh, it was really cool to be able to reach out. And we've had a good uh, relationship talking lacrosse ever since. Yeah, no, definitely. I uh, appreciate Jerry, Jerry foisting you on to us. Um, and uh, and me in particular, but yeah, we've you know we've done a few different film breakdowns, um, you know, gone over, uh, you know, Jerry's defensive philosophy, you know, mine, yours, um, kind of some overarching uh, thematic uh, key points to hit on within the defense. But it's been great so far. Yeah, I always love uh, sending you a tweet and just getting your opinion on uh, whether you give a thumbs up to a drill or a uh, thumbs down, it's always kind of amusing. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fluff out there, and and, and um, you know, I think the biggest key point that I learned from playing at Notre Dame was there was you know no wasted steps and and no wasted time. So, uh, you know, if the drill's not vital to to off ball or on ball defense and lacrosse, and it's just a generic footwork drill, then um, you know, you're, you're not getting as much out of it as you should. No doubt. All right, let's start off with, um, with your journey. So uh, you're from Southern California. Tell us about um, your, uh, your coaches and mentors um, in lacrosse and other sports as you came up through the ranks uh, prior to getting to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, uh, I was always big into hoops growing up. Um, went to a private school that goes from seventh grade till uh, high school and, you know, was, was kind of all in on basketball. And it was sort of through that where I was introduced to lacrosse in the spring. Uh, you know, one, a lot of my friends were playing it. It was kind of an up and coming popular sport. Um, you know, obviously very unique to the guys that were out there because we were all playing baseball in the spring growing up, right? Nobody was playing lacrosse really. Uh, and then, um, you know, firstly, one of the assistant basketball coaches who was a teacher and was also one of the lacrosse coaches, uh, John Ozizzi, who's now the coach at Torrey Pines, but was the coach at Bishops, kind of pushed me in the direction of giving it a shot. And I did. Uh, the middle school coach was this guy who, um, you know, unfortunately is no longer with us, but his name was J.D. Moyer and he played at Vermont. And, you know, was key in getting lacrosse out west and, and, and key to feeding all the middle schoolers into the high school program at Bishops. And so, you know, he had a vital role. I, um, you know, I actually showed up to practice the first day with my cousin's gear, uh, you know, so all hand me down attire from, you know, a rival high school, basically. And uh, all, all I had was a long pole. I wanted to play midfield, right? I wanted to score goals. And, uh, you know, I showed up with the long pole and, and, you know, Coach JD was was all in on me playing defense, and I never looked back. Never switched, never switched sticks from that point on. So never, never tried a different position. Just was defense the whole way through, uh, and then you know came up through high school, uh, and and was able to develop over those two years. You know, strongly. I you know I played club. I started you know transitioning year round to lacrosse. Kind of gave up basketball pretty much. You know, played it, but but no off season basketball whatsoever, and. Um, you know, played on West Coast, or actually, sorry, played in uh, local clubs, didn't didn't get any like the big club looks, wasn't doing any traveling across the country to play or anything like that. Uh, but definitely became my favorite sport. Got to high school, had kind of a, you know, I guess you could call it a breakout freshman year. I mean, we had a varsity team with maybe 20 guys on it, um, but actually was able to start my freshman year. And uh, played alongside a guy, Nick Egemeyer, who was a senior who went on to play at Denver. Uh, so he was a big influence on me, at least something to strive for, you know, someone that was, that was from San Diego, from my high school, going to play, uh, defense at a D1 program. Uh, and then my coaches who were, um, you know, John Ozizzi, as I mentioned, uh, head coach was Steve Zepeda who played at Notre Dame. And then the other assistant was Hamilton Pollard who played long stick media at Penn state. So he was my defensive coach. He was very takeaway check oriented, old school defense, um, you know, hack guys up, start throwing over the heads. Uh, and that was great because, you know, I was, I was okay on footwork. I played basketball, you know, I, I tried to get better and better at it, but you know, he really taught me how to kind of take the ball away from guys and be a little flashy. Uh, you know, I, I learned my lesson a few times on, on when I should be doing that and when I shouldn't be, but you know, I think it got me noticed, uh, ended up getting the look to play West coast stars, which was kind of the only travel team out West that was making a splash on the East coast during the summer circuit. So played that, you know, through high school. And that was really my only way of getting recruited, right? High school lacrosse isn't going to get you any looks. The talent level was, was so low that, you know, it was more practice than anything for what was the summer. Um, ended up going to all those tournaments throughout the summer on the East coast, you know, a couple of the adrenaline lacrosse tournaments um, on the West coast that had some recruiters at them. And it never really worked out. You know, uh, I think 
that summer that's before your junior year when everybody was committing, uh, I broke my wrist. So I was playing with a cast on and just didn't really have a good showing. Um, you know, early on in the summer going into senior year of high school, which was kind of my last chance to get any sort of Hail Mary looks, it was really only shaping up to be NESCAC schools, which was great. And, you know, those are top 10 colleges in the world. So I couldn't complain about it. My parents were, were pretty happy um, with where I was. So I ended up committing to Amherst uh, to play D3 uh, for Coach Thompson. And, um, you know, I was excited about it. I think part of me still wanted to, to play at my full potential and, and play at the, the very top level. But, you know, wasn't going to sell myself short on an educational basis. So, um, you know, did that for the time being. And, it, you know, kind of took the pressure off, to be honest. And so that those last few weeks of the summer, uh, you know, I was committed, but I wanted to show myself, you know, as, as someone that, you know, guys passed up on, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sending my tape across the country to guys and, and I'm not getting any responses. And then in those, that week or two before senior year of high school started, um, started getting the calls and it was, you know, Notre Dame, Yale, Georgetown, you know, a few others. Um, but, you know, as soon as I kind of had heard about Notre Dame, who, you know, number one, my coach, Steve Zapata, played for them. You know, number two, I, like my, you know, one of my first ever experiences with lacrosse was, was that 2010 national championship. It was like the first time I ever really watched it on TV was uh, those two guys, uh, Duke and ND, and unfortunately ND fell, but I kind of like, I didn't even really know where Notre Dame was in the country, but kind of became a goal of mine. And so when they called and, and I, you know, I knew everything about the defense, you know, Coach Byrne and Coach Corrigan were running a great program out there. I was ecstatic, you know, went out to visit. Fortunately, went out to visit in the summer, so didn't get a, uh, a preview of what the winter was going to be like. But uh, had a great visit, you know, came back from that, committed a day later. I mean, I'm, my, uh, my dad's side of the family is from California and big USC fans. So kind of crushed my grandfather that I was going to Notre Dame but but yeah no it was great it was an awesome experience my 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 parents were were if anything maybe a little skeptical about the whole sports in college situation like you know I, I wanted to do it they were you know 50 50 on it and then you know after I had gone there and they had come out to a few games and once they started playing they couldn't have been more ecstatic about the situation you know about college sports and about me playing lacrosse I think honestly my mom um anytime anybody ever mentions Oss versus Denver in the final four of 2015 like it breaks my mom's heart uh I think she cares about it more than anybody else does in the world so uh it was all in an, an awesome experience um you know playing for coach Byrne and coach Corrigan and um you know, developing as a lacrosse player, but also as a, as a man and an adult, uh, you know, was, was a great thing to do at Notre Dame. I realized, you know, now, and of course you're always going to realize later on that, that they were looking out for your best interests, you know, not only as a lacrosse player, but, you know, as a professional. And, you know, if you want to pursue the lacrosse route, that's great, but they looked out for everybody on the team that, that was looking to get a career after college and, you know, did whatever they could to help guys out with alumni, whether it was lacrosse alumni or just Notre Dame alumni, uh, and took care of everybody that that played hard for them. Um, so, you know, so what more can you ask? For sure. Kevin Corgan has been a mentor of mine 
uh, for many years. In fact, when I was driving from Connecticut to Denver in the summer of 1998, I stopped in in South Bend. They had just finished the Joyce Center. It was brand new. Mm. And um, anyways, um, I always look at him as a guy that will go out of his way to help people and as a great mentor and just so smart, such a good dude. Um, I just wanted you to uh, talk a little bit about your experiences with him and, and how he was a mentor for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, the recruiting visit, everything, a lot of it was mostly with him. You know, a lot of my interactions were with him. Obviously, I played defense, so I probably spent a majority of the time at ND with Coach Byrne. Yeah. Um, but you also, you know, are interacting with Corrigan, who is, who is you know, taking control of, of both sides it's to a certain extent, right, and overseeing what is the entire operation of the team, right, and, and you know, for any sort of, uh, leadership or discipline, um, practice or anything like that. It, it, it's all going up through him. Right. And he is, um, you know, overseeing the entire operation in a, uh, in a, what I think is a unique way because, you know, you could tell that he has his hand in every facet of our team. Um, you know, and there are times when he'll take over and, and go over things like, for example, the 10 man ride, like that's his, that's his show. Oh, yeah. Like this is, I'm explaining this, this is what we're doing. But then other times he will implement, um, you know, a certain defensive strategy and reflect it to coach Byrne. Um, same thing goes on offense where, you know, he obviously spent the majority of his time. Um, but like, you know, any, any head coach, right. You don't want to be too handsy on really anything, right. You want to, um, you want to kind of, like I've been saying, right. Oversee the operation like a manager. Um, but, you know, off the field, you know, he was there for everybody and, and part of it just comes with age. So, you know, it wasn't probably till I was kind of rolling into my senior year when I really started to, to realize and, and when I was a captain and we were interacting a lot more than we had been in the past, um, was, um, you know, his ability to look out for everybody on the team and, you know. You don't, you know, you play sports, you don't, you don't know everything about your teammates and that's the beauty of it, right? There's, you know, whatever kind of situations you have going on in your own life kind of go away while you're playing sports and off the field, they don't necessarily. And, and I think coach knew everything about everybody and what they might've been going through. Um, and was always, you know, very keen to, to help out with guys. He, you know, there are instances where he'd, you know, call in some of the captains and be like, listen, can, you know, so-and-so can, can they stay at your guys' house this week? Or, you know, um, can you guys spend more time with so-and-so off the, or on the field? He's, you know, just looking out for everybody. And, and each senior year, I remember specifically him going around to the, each of the seniors and asking if they had a job or not lined up for after college. And like asking juniors if they had internships lined up for the summer. And if guys didn't have a job, he would throw out, you know, six or seven ideas to them of who they need to get in touch with. And um, realized, you know, although it didn't seem like it in the moment, and it's easy to get caught up in the moment, I think realized the importance and life lessons that we're all learning by playing sports and the importance it is to have a life after college and and that that 
these four years come to an end and they might, you know, it might be over forever after that. And so, um, you know, really made sure that, that guys had their eyes on, on what was truly important, which was getting an education at Notre Dame. How about coach Byrne? How was he uh, to play for? What was he like as a mentor for you? It was great. He, you know, he was hard on me at first, no doubt. And I think he's hard on everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, freshman year, especially that fall, learning his defense was like taking another class, but maybe double the credits because I was spending just as much time on it. I remember one time he forwarded us some vocabulary uh, Word document, and I was like, oh my God, it's like studying for the SATs all over again. Uh, and and we do these drills and and they're great. Like his, his defensive philosophy on breaking down just sections of the field on situations that will happen in any game were so great. And it's a lot at you at once, especially as a freshman. And it took me a long time to really grasp it. And, and he was killing me, uh, you know, for that first year, basically. And then I think there was a, a certain point at the end of freshman year, maybe in the spring when, you know, you're playing on the practice squad and, um, you know, he's obviously spending most of the time with his first team defense, but there are glimpses where we're playing full field scrimmaging and he sees, you know, what you're capable of and that you're coming up the curb and then going in, you know, coming in in sophomore year, um, really had a grasp for things. I wasn't going to play though. Right. It was, you know, Steve O'Hara, it was Matt Landis, uh, it, you know, ended up being Garrett Apple as a freshman who just came in very polished uh, and it wasn't going to be me, but I found time on, on the man down unit and, and you know part of that I think was was both Corrigan and Byrne I think rewarding my work ethic and also seeing that that you know I could be a real player for them maybe the next two years and and this year let's you know make sure that he gets time on the field and gets comfortable with other guys um, and in-game scenarios and that was a great experience for me right I was uh, traveling with the team I was you know, I realized I was only playing man down, but, you know, there's a certain point on the depth chart where my name could have been called. So I was getting reps in games as well. Uh, but, um, you know, all, all credit to, to, to Burn, I think, for, you know, just, just realizing that, that I had bought into his system and that I was coming up the curb and doing everything that I could to, to become, uh, you know, one of his, one of his top defensemen. And, and, Part of it was me maybe, you know, swallowing some pride and realizing that I wasn't going to be Matt Landis sort of cover guy. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I, you know, understood his system so well and told myself I'm going to, you know, I'm going to know every aspect of this game uh, defensively that I can so that, you know, I can bring so much value to the table that, that coach will recognize that. And he did. Uh, and we had a great experience and, and you know a lot of it was lacrosse wise and then you know you get towards junior and senior year and it was it was a lot more personal right he it became a um you know a a mentor mentee scenario in which there were times where he might ask me my opinion on certain things how we should cover certain actions that offenses are running I was able to bring stuff up to him and say here I think you know I think this makes sense in this situation uh, and that was, you know, it was a beautiful thing. It was something I wasn't going to be able to do the two years before that. Um, but, you know, the fact that I had bought into to his defense and, and um, you know, did everything I was asked, the, the respect came back and I eventually was able to have a hand in, in some strategic stuff that we were doing defensively. And, um, 
And, um, you know, now we have, you know, even stronger relationship, right? We were texting all the time. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was really bummed out to see him leave ND and, and, you know, credit to him and he could have been a head coach for the last 20 years and he didn't do it. And kind of was like, this is my opportunity. I'm going to take it. But I remember like it was after a PLL game and I was going back home that night and I was at the airport bar, like saw the headline breaking and I was devastated. It's like I lost somebody and I'm sitting in the, at the airport bar at Applebee's or whatever it is, drinking a, a Coors Light. Um, just totally bummed out about it, but I was happy for him. He, uh, you know, he deserved it. And uh, it'll be an interesting thing to see what he does at Harvard and, and, and turns the program around and, and implements his defense almost like some sort of a case study. Yeah, uh, sure. So, yeah, I mean, we're yeah. still really close. He, he, any film breakdowns I'm doing, um, you know, he, he, uh, he hops on, uh, and, uh, any stuff that he does with you, I always hop on and try to give him a hard time about it. Uh, so yeah, we're still very, very close. Yeah. Well, he talks about you all the time and, uh, I was pumped up when we, um, when we got introduced, I'll never forget on my very first phone call with you, you, you made it, you quote, this is your quote. I know for a fact that when Landis squares up, he's going and I'm making my next round of decisions. And I just remember being like, that is so great. Yeah. That was a, that was a, um, you know, that, that was a burn and Corrigan method. Um, I can't remember which one of them brought it up when I was a freshman, but you know, someone was, someone made a comment about, you know, squaring up, in the slide roll and um or faking slides excuse me yeah and then one of the two was like you know why we don't fake slide and then you know people are saying oh it confuses people blah 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 and he's like no it's because you're breaking one of our rules and if you break one of the rules people think you're doing something else and the whole defense breaks down so the second that any rule gets broken on a defense everything breaks down because people start making assumptions. But if you have a rule, like you square up, you're going, um, or you have a rule, like you're recovering to the crease or, or whatever rule it is, you had to follow through with it because everyone behind you is doing what they think you're doing. Right. Uh, which is, yeah. So yeah. I mean, for me, I always knew that being sideways is something you want to do because you want to be able to see your man in the ball. Right. Um, and that's when I, when I knew the rule, you know, one of the seven main rules that Jerry has, don't square up to the ball unless you're sliding. Um, it just made sense. What I didn't realize was that it was a cue to everybody else. And that if you want to fake slide, you can, you just got to be sideways. Right. Exactly. Don't, you know, the second you square up, you're going. Yeah, that, that was a profound statement. Um, yeah. I want to uh, switch gears to the PLO Redwoods. Um, how fun was it to get reunited with all your teammates um, and to be able to play Notre Dame defense in the pro league? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, uh, I, I didn't realize, you know, I missed them. And, and, and we had been playing in the league after college, all three of us, right? But for different teams. Um, I didn't realize until we got back together how much I had missed playing with them. 
I, I was just having, we were all just having fun still playing lacrosse and, and obviously missed each other. But then when we, you know, the three of us down low got to be playing again and, you know, we had Sexton and Mir and Nicosello all back on defense as well. And we're, we're back to using our terminology that we were using at ND and we're starting to think about how to defend certain offensive actions that other teams are running. Um, it is just like we were back in the locker room and, and I missed that feeling so much. And it was so good to have another year with those guys. And, um, you know, we didn't win last year, unfortunately. Uh, it was a close one in a classic ND heartbreak fashion. Um, but we, you know, we had another chance to do something we hadn't done at, at ND. So the opportunity itself was, was great. And, and, um, you know, like it, it didn't go the way that we wanted it to, but yeah, not going to trade it for the experience that, that we had being back together. No doubt. Did you guys get text messages from uh, GB along the way? Yeah. Yeah. Coach, coach Nat was, was, uh, was trying to filter us as much as possible because, you know, Nat's running our defense and he's running the team. And then you got burned side texting us at halftime. Like what we're messing <laughs> up. There were games where we were getting our ass kicked and, and we'd come back and just, I would just see like Jerry Byrne text. And then like in, at the bottom, you know, it says who's in it. It's like Matt Landis, Garrett Apple, Eddie Glazer. I like open it up. He's just killing us on like whatever we're doing wrong. Um, one of the games we had in Baltimore, he was down recruiting and I look on the sideline and he's just standing there behind the sideline, like trying to like be a little puppeteer. Um, so who knows, you know, maybe if Harvard's okay with it, we can get him on the volunteer assistant job. Um, and, uh, no doubt he'll be watching this summer and providing some constructive criticism, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good to have him following us playing together again. I'm sure, I'm sure he's excited about it. So let's talk a little bit about the Denver Outlaws. You had some great success with those guys. Yeah, they, uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't get the nod uh, to, to the MLL uh, after college like uh, Cabin Landis did. And, and so that first summer out of college, I, I didn't play and kind of thought that, that I was going to be playing rec league for the rest of my life pretty much. Um, but I kept working and, and was playing wherever I could, you know, some summer leagues in New York and stuff like that. And, um, you know, similar to, I guess, not, you know, getting recruited late in high school, you know, similar to not hitting the field until late at Notre Dame, um, you know, kept working and I got my opportunity and, and a lot of it, I have, you know, to be thankful for cab, I think who, put the word in for me with Denver and was like, you know, you guys should, should have Eddie out to training camp in the spring, you know, just give him a shot. And, and they did. Um, and it was a great experience and, you know, it was great to be playing again. Obviously the rules are different. Everything was very different. Um, you know, playing with the top players of the league. Right. And there's some guys that are great on ball defensemen significantly better than I am, but Again, I brought that same team defensive mentality to the pros uh, and, and tried to be the over-communicator of the defense wherever I played and just try to make guys' lives easier. And again, there's six guys on offense and there's one ball and there's usually one or two guys doing most of the dodging. So if I can guard whoever the finisher is or, you know, whoever's getting less touches, but, you know, have a, have a, my hand and in, in pretty much everything that's going on, you know, I can be, I can be, you know, fairly valuable to, to teams and, and 
you know, prove that with Denver. We had a great run. We unfortunately lost in the championship that year to Ohio. Um, traded to come play for the Blaze, which was going to be for you. Yep. Um, and ended up playing with them. And same deal. You know, had a great experience down there. Um, played with a whole new group of guys and, and a whole new, you know, defensive scheme, but was able to make it work uh, and just kind of kept battling, kept showcasing my skills. And then now here we are still playing, still alive. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to be um, uh, a Notre Dame defense when uh, we drafted. So I was uh, Dave Huntley's defensive coordinator and I, I explained everything to him and he loved it so much. And I am, I've, I've mentioned this a million times. I'm like a self-proclaimed disciple of Jerry Bird's defense. I love it. I'm, I'm on the high school level and with the Blaze, we, we, trade, we uh, drafted Garrett Apple, And then um, and Spencer Ford was like, hey, we're bringing in Glazer. And then um, Hunt's Dave Huntley, the late, great Dave Huntley, RIP, uh, died yeah. in uh, December of 2017. And, um, and our plans uh, changed. But um, – but yeah, it would have been fun, man. It would have been uh, it would have been a precursor to the Redwoods. Yeah, exactly. It would have been good to get back with Garrett. Um, fortunately, it didn't work out, but we got our chance. No doubt. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something you mentioned, which is that you studied the defense at Notre Dame and you learned the defense and you knew it inside and out, um, which seems obvious. But what I want to talk about is the there's that, and then there's the ability to actually process, which I think is the harder part. You have to have both, but a lot of people can understand it on paper or on film, but then in real time, struggle to process. How would you say you learned how to do that? There was a lot of mistake making along the way um, to learn it. I've actually um, been reading this this book called Range, actually. Yeah. Um, by David Epstein, who, who has a few other books about athletes. And one of them talks about how just a study on, on people learning a, a, a subject in school, actually, um, getting the answers wrong, like purely guessing and getting answers wrong and being told why you got it wrong. And the answer actually causes you to learn much better than if you're given answers before the test and then go ahead and do it. And I, you know, it kind of makes sense, but you know, making mistakes, especially that freshman year and, and, and getting crushed by Coach Byrne um, made me a better defenseman. And obviously, you're not, you know, you're trying not to make same mistakes twice. But more than anything, right, it, you know, it came from me watching older guys and having mentors on the team who, who didn't make mistakes at all and just tried to emulate exactly what those guys were doing. So I was guys like, you know, Matt Miller, Steve O'Hara, Tyler Anderson, uh, you know, guys that were much older than me playing at ND who set the standard for his defense, had been playing it for so long. Uh, and so as much as I was watching film with those guys, like Coach Byrne did, you know, voluntary film sessions that, that was almost led by these guys. And, and I'd go to pretty much every single one uh, and learn from these guys. And um, actually was, was um, supposed to get shoulder surgery my freshman year, um, I still haven't gotten shoulder surgery. That's on the bucket list. But the, the trainer, Mandy Merritt, who's actually the, the trainer for the USA team as well, 
told me, don't get the surgery because you do not want to miss the spring. She's like, I know you're not going to play at all on the field, um, but you don't want to miss it because we're practicing so much and you'll be on the practice squad, but you know, the amount of FaceTime you're going to be getting from in front of the coaches um, and, and the amount you're going to be learning is, is exponentially more important than getting the surgery. And I'm, I'm really glad that I never did because that fall as a freshman, um, you know, at first, again, I was at pretty much the bottom of the depth chart in terms of the defenseman and then, you know, give it March, April, May, you know, I was starting for the practice squad and um starting for the practice squad is pretty sweet guys write that down i'm gonna put that in my instagram bio started on the practice squad but uh 2013 yeah it's so it's it's so valuable i mean also like i mean i was like guarding kavanaugh every day right like like I was, I was getting reps against the guys that you know, Connor Doyle, Westy Hopkins, like these guys that that were getting big time minutes, and I was guarding them in practice every day. Like I have them to be thankful for, um, and and they're running every single offensive set every day, and and I wouldn't say that I was necessarily memorizing ND's offenses to like cheat it. But you start to understand why teams run certain actions, where the real looks are, where the open space is. And then you start understanding, okay, you know, teams start running, you know, some some one for one and there's a backside mumbo. But you also know there's a seal slip from the top guy and you start understanding, okay, and I'm an X. And so, you know, you need to watch that guy setting the seal for the slip through. Um, and, and then you start – you know, and everything's the same. All teams are running very similar actions that you're playing against. And, and, you know, we do the film sessions and I'm sitting there in the back, obviously not playing an important role whatsoever, but, you know, watching these teams run the same types of offenses we run pretty much. And, um, you know, it all started really clicking. Really cool. And, and, and like you said though, right. It's, it's, I think that everyone else in the room saw it too, right? Like, you spend enough time studying the defense, you're going to understand it. Yeah. So you're right. The, the being able to actually execute what you're seeing in front of you is, is kind of the next step and being able to communicate at the same time as the next step. Yeah. Um, it just, it all came from repetitions and it's like my uncle says, when we go hunting, it's like, just shoot. Don't second guess your shot. Just shoot the gun. Right. Yeah. That's what happened. I love the word. Uh, fluency for describing players that really know how to play. And it, it's interesting too, because it does equate with the communication, both nonverbal and verbal, right? And being able to think on your feet. And it's kind of like, you know how it's like sometimes, you know, you're recounting a conversation, you're like, damn, I could have said this and it would have been awesome or whatever. But it's, it's kind of like what happens in sports too. Like after a while, you, you just, can think on your feet and you can make that funny or good comment or <laughs> more importantly, you can make the right play. Right. So turning this conversation to communication, um, I feel like there's, there's elements of communication, which is just the physical part of being loud, but then it's, it's a matter of like, actually, um, like you said earlier, trying to help people out. Can you talk about communication specific in a few specific instances, starting with, between you as a slider 
and the on-ball defender. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be necessarily a, a screaming and 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 you, know, you want to over communicate in an efficient manner. I guess is the right way to say it, right? You know, you, you're going to play against guys that are just screaming stuff out that doesn't really mean much, um, in, in the hopes of being a good communicator. Um, but you know, so you're starting in the slide roll, right? And and teams are getting the ball around, and you can say, you know, I'm the go, I'm hot, you know, but when you see teams start to then set up the dodge or set up whatever offense that that's going to be happening, um, you know, I might obviously sideways and, and see, seeing man and seeing ball, I'm going to be, you know, communicating that I'm, that I'm the slide guy. Um, but I mean, I would already have it dialed up to the point where I would be turning around and telling whoever it is that they're my second slide and telling whoever's, you know, let's say the dodge gets going down the right hand alley. I would tell the guy who's, you know, the midi that's up top on the other side, like, Hey, get down the backside, like just start getting down now because this dodge is going to, it's either going to go to the middle or down the alley, but they're dodging. Um, so I'd already be telling two or three guys what to be doing before the dodge even started. Um, and you need to go, you need to go. And, and, you know, in the, in the words of uh, Wayne Gretzky, you, you skate to where the puck is going, not where it is. So, you know, you meet guys in an efficient manner in their dodge. Um, and you're getting to stay left, stay right with the with the the on ball defender, so that you know he's not overplaying and he knows that the slide's coming. Uh, and then um, you transition from from off ball to on ball, right? And if you can jam up that guy who tries to get through two, that's fine. But you know if the guy bounces out or or passes to X or, or settles up or whatever, I'm obviously telling that midfielder to drop. And now I'm the on-ball guy. Um, and off the pass, you know, say you slid to that guy, right? And, and they're trying to generate a slide anyway, right? So he passes the ball to X or passes it to the next guy, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you're instantly outworking that guy you just slid to, right? And you're just drop-stepping to the inside, trying to see if you can, you know, get a skip pass, drop-stepping, you know, to the effect that you're now going to have a hand in – the slide roll, you know, should, should someone slide and someone pop to open space that's near you, that's probably going to be your responsibility. So, you know, you quickly go from off ball to on ball to off ball, you know, in a matter of seconds. Off ball to on ball to off ball. And then sometimes right back to on ball, if it's a, that submarine look, if they basically throw to X and that guy sneaks same side. Exactly. You know, or if, or if, um, or if the, the action was meant for them to do like a pass down, pick down. Yeah. And, you know, that's like their variation. If they don't get a good look, you know, off that preliminary dodge, it turns into a pass down, pick down. Now all of a sudden you're, you're going from off ball to sliding to on ball to now communicating, you know, a switch or get through and say it's a switch. Now you're back to on ball. Um, and like we said, right, that's, that's a lot to handle at once, especially once you get on ball and then you have to immediately handle a pick scenario. Uh, so it goes to making the decision right and not looking back and, and, you know, being good enough to the point where, like you said, there's no, oh, I should have done that, right? It's, it's clockwork. And, you know, you make certain reads that you know are the right reads to make. So let's talk a little bit about the um, communication if you're a backside defender. 
Um, seems obvious that you're going to be able to tell somebody that you can be there too. But what what is what what are you doing? You 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 know when I asked you about on ball, I mean uh, as a slider, you you're communicating to the backside people, the media, yeah. the on ball, and all that stuff. How do you do it when you're backside? Yeah, I mean I I think that's that's the you know you know aside from the on ball guy, that's probably the most important defender on the field at any given time. The reason being is because they have the view of the entire field in front of them, right? Like you make a 45 degree off both eyes, they see the entire picture right in front of them, right? So you're the backside guy. Yes, you're the, you're the two slide or the, the push or whatever you want to call it, right? So you're obviously communicating to the slide guy. You're the go. I'm your two slide. I'm your help. You know, I'm your push. Um, and I think what's important there, though, is that, again, you have a view of everything that's happening in front of you. So if you see, for example, you know, again, you're the two slide, there's dodge going on on the wings, maybe they're running like a pairs offense or something like that. And you see an offensive player from the other side on your, on your near side or whatever, coming into the crease to maybe set a seal for someone. And then that guy's popping out the back to try to get a step down off a skip. For example, you you're the one that's really seeing that. I mean, the, the 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 guys guarding the guy who is guarding, excuse me, the the person who is sealing or or coming into the crease to do some sort of distraction. He's seeing it as well, but I don't think he's really processing what's going on necessarily. Just thinks maybe his guy's filling, for example. Uh, but you have an, a, a view of whether someone's getting sealed, someone's going to be diving backside, someone's popping to the back, and so. You know, yes, you're the the two slide on any dodging scenario, but if there's a skip pass over the top, or if there's a dive to the the the, you know, someone's trying to like dive and dunk, you're right there to deter that as well. So, I I like that role, and I think that's you know, again, like I said, aside from the on ball guy, that's the most important defensive position, the furthest guy away, right? Because they have the view of the entire field, mm -hmm. and it's really them that's recognizing where the open space is, where people are moving to, and, and what the offense is really trying to accomplish. Well, and so often, too, there's like a hot guy and his man vacates, and the hot guy stays hot. But then you yep. might be the backside guy, and your, your guy might cut. And if you have to make that play, then the backside is going to be too open on two passes. If you can get yeah. to that slider that they can still have some crease responsibility especially during like a redodge or a bounce this is one of the nuances that i learned that i find really interesting that i'd love to hear about yeah that's a tough one too i mean it's it, it almost you might think you're in a zone almost um you know as your guy vacates for example but you know any action going on and and you've determined yourself as the slide guy there's no really there's no going away from that and I think that other teams don't necessarily do a great job of that. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's too early in the, the life of the offense where they think that they can leave with their man and go into maybe like an open set defense, for example. But again, I think it goes to everyone being on the same page. And if this guy says, you know, I'm the go and then action is starting to develop offensively, that doesn't really change unless you have somebody – in between or, or someone jumps it off of a two-man game or something like that but you need to stay in your role so if you're that backside defenseman and you see this guy in the crease in the slide role not guarding anyone because this guy vacated a couple things in your head right first 
chances are someone is going to fill that space. Yeah. It's, it's open. There's going to be some sort of a dive cut. Um, you know, that's, that's otherwise they're too packed in around the, around the outside and we can kind of, we we're able to guard it. We can, we can kind of rotate. Um, you know, so it probably is your guy or someone diving from the top. Um, and again, in an efficient manner, you want to yell that guy's name. And, and I realized that the person's watching the dodge going on, the guy in the slide roll, and doesn't have a clear picture of what's going on behind him. Maybe we're communicating your guy's out, but he's staying in the slide roll. You know, you might communicate something along the lines of, you know, Matt, you know, right here, you know, take this guy and I'll go out the back and, and figure out your situation. Or there's a dive from the top, for example, that mid, that, you know, D midi or whoever's guarding up top, right? sees this guy running into the, the the crease into space and sees that we have someone there, you know, it's not a, you know, you try to make it as seamless of a transition as possible, right? So you run with that guy a little bit, you shed him, you tell the crease guy, hey, you know, here's your new guy. And again, we, we figure out everything on the backside, which I think is why that, again, another reason why that backside rule is so important is, you know, as guys vacate and fill the crease, you're the one that really has the best view of what's going on. Right. And you can't afford to always cover it because you still have responsibilities backside, especially if a slide hasn't gone. That means that the exactly. creep guy can cover that guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. One of the things that I think that is so interesting about uh, the Notre Dame defense is, is everybody reading the quality of defense on the ball. Talk about that a little bit as far as why it's so important. It's not just a slide decision. It's everybody reading that quality of defense on the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, I almost like to say, and you know, probably something that, that youth and middle school and high school coaches will stay too, which is, you know, get out and defend. I, you know, I would much rather, you know, from a, someone in the crease or off ball defensively, would much rather have a read where we can tell that you're beat rather than the, the you know, again, to the quality of defense on ball being soft or buffered, for example. So, you know, you're, you know, you're a D midi, for example, and you're not on ball, you know, covering, locked in, right, you know, cross-check jabbing the guy as much as you can. Um, we know your defense. We know you're defending the ball, excuse me, and you're doing a pretty good job of it. If you're playing off him and next thing you know, the, the offense is playing offense at 12 yards. And, and again, that can happen very quickly, right? If you're not playing actual, you know, solid on-ball fundamental defense, the, we start compacting more, the offense starts shrinking. Next thing you know, they're within shooting range. Um, you know, that's – again, bad on ball quality of defense and, and you start having to make tougher decisions. Do I not go, you know, you know, the guy's not beat, but you know, guy has his hands free if he wants to stop dodging and just shoot it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we always stress D midis guarding guys way outside the box, honestly. And, and um, you know, guys that we had were athletic enough to not get beat out there. And, and you know, just by the nature of, of simple mathematics, there are going to be instances when you get beat, right? And at least 
we can read the body language of the D MIDI, you know, is, is he fully turned? Can I see the numbers on the side of his Jersey? Can I see the ND logo on the side of his Jersey? You know, did he go from being turned and sideways to now, you know, an all out sprint with him because he's actually trying to play catch up. Those are all the telling signs that we need to slide, right? You have, you, you see nowadays, right? Guys go from playing D MIDI with two hands to then running down the alley with a stick on the guy with one hand, right? Trying to throw like one-handed wraps or, or trying to just get their stick in the guy's hands. It's not really doing much. You're, you're beat at that point. And, and I think that confuses defensemen sometimes. They think a guy might be covered because there's a stick on the guy's body. Uh, when in reality, you know, it's turned into a foot race and the offensive player is going to get a good shot off. And, and we'll always go in those instances. And it's a telling sign that somebody's beat. But I think teams that aren't on the same page and aren't reading the quality of on-ball defense and aren't reading body language might second-guess their slide decision the, uh, there sometimes. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, once you go, you go. Don't second-guess it. Everybody else can just make the next round of decisions. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I was a defensive coordinator, I mean, I'd much rather – have a team sliding uh, off maybe a bad read when you didn't need to slide rather than not going right. And, and next thing you know, the guy's edging in and, and gets a good shot off, you know, it's guys like a lot of the Canadians, right? Like Tinney, for example, you know, they, they give off this. You know, that's when it goes from defensive body language to then the offensive player trying to convince you that they're being guarded well when in reality they actually have a pretty great angle and they just want to they want to kind of sell it as long as possible to give themselves a good look that's where you really get into trouble yeah so so interesting um i want to talk a little bit about v holes um first in the context of reads one of the things that the late great Dave Huntley loved about when I explained the concept of, you know, your V hold is a tell. Um, if you're getting run through, it's right. Like your V holds pointing towards the midline yep. from, from behind, you, you probably should go. Likewise, if you're, you know, if your V hold was pointing to the end line from behind, you know, that might be a little bit too quick to go, but, yeah. um, but, um, what are your thoughts about V holds? Why did you do that? Did you V hold a lot in high school or was it more like when you got to ND and, and do you still do it now? I did in high school, uh, but, but definitely less so than I did at ND because it was kind of written down like the Bible. Um, and I think in the words of Garrett Apple, I'd like to say if, if your defense isn't running a V hold, then you're an idiot. <laughs> um, and, and he's, and the kid swears by that. And I've seen him getting in, in, in fights with kids over it. I love before. it. Um, so I'll stand by it. You know, if, if you're not running a V hold system in your defense, I think it's idiotic. Um, it, it's, it, again, it can be a telling sign that whether or not you're, you're beat or not. Right. You know, firstly, like we said, right. You're like Huntley said, you know, if your sticks pointing up field, the guy's going to get a good shot, right. You know, you got guys like, like Rob Pinella are good at getting guys into five and five and, and, you want to get guys into a V hold because it can be telling whether or not you're going to be getting beat topside because your stick's starting to turn yeah. or if you're going to get inside rolled because again, your sticks pointed the end line and the guy's already around you. Yeah. Um, and you get around guys like, like um, Lyle Thompson's good at it. A lot of the Canadian box players are good at it. 
where they'll lean into you pretty hard and they can, um, they'll roll around you, right? And they'll elbow jab to kind of push you offside a little bit and then inside roll you pretty hard. And um, it's telling. If, if you're running with, with just a cross check on somebody, I think they really have everything and you're not preventing the top side shot, which is the most threatening. Yeah, in the right on right situation, um, yeah. when you're going with a cross check, there's no ball pressure. Exactly. You're you're really just getting into a shoving match with somebody who who the upper hand's really in their hands, right? Because they're just going to lean on you, and um, you know eventually they'll get you to overcommit to one side, and they're kind of gone at that point. If you V hold, at least like you know, especially the right on right, left on left scenario, you're taking away the strength and forcing them to inside roll, take a harder angle shot. And it's easier to time a slide that way when a guy is, you know, turning his head to inside roll and doesn't necessarily see you coming. Right. Um, and then if you get into the scenarios, even scenarios where it's, um, you know, a, a, a right on left or a left on right, and, and say I got a lefty dodging me and I'm a right-hander, and at least I've got my stick up field, right, preventing the guy from necessarily turning the corner or at least – Right. my strong side. Um, and if he inside rolls, you know, we have a slide coming and, and I can defend the back. I, I have the back check and, and the slide guy has the whole front of them. Right. Uh, I think one of the things that people struggle with, with V holds is that they feel like they go to it and then they get inside rolled so quickly, but that's really a tech technique issue more so than like the technique is bad it's more like your technique isn't great in other words you can play cross-check defense before you get into your v-hold and you and you should yeah and i think if you look if you look a lot closer at at how guys are playing it like look at somebody like landis who's really good at doing it who who has you know incredible feet and just kind of gets himself into his seat and is just moving back and forth with you it's it really should be called an l hold yeah because really what you're doing is you're using your forearm more than anything to drive this guy off his line. And, 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 you know, it's not really a V you're resting the guys back. Like you're playing basketball defense yeah. and driving with your forearm and, and the shape of an L and, and you know, how you want to get set up for it. You want to be driving the guy to the corner of the field, to that back corner where the cone is. And I think the, the way that guys get inside rolled too much is, is, you lean and overplay the top side yeah. or, or, you know, or you don't make a good enough approach and the guy's running through your stick. But if, you know, you use that back corner cone as a rule of thumb and you're trying to drive that guy generally in that direction, um, you know, with, with your feet and with your forearm, um, that's really where you can, can take advantage of it. I think when guys go for the real V, which, which is digging your stick into his hands and, and really forming a V between your forearm and the stick, you're, you're, I mean, guys are good enough. Guys are good enough at protecting their stick that you're not going to take the ball away that way. And they're just going to inside roll you. Yeah. So. Um, one of the things that Jerry always talks about is capturing guys in a V hold. Have you heard him? Is that, is that, is that an evolution since you got That might be an evolutionary statement. Okay. So we were capturing the whole time. You just never used the word capture. It's so interesting though, but it's kind of the opposite of driving. 
And because when you're capturing them, what you're doing is you're slowing them down and you're allowing them to gain a little bit of ground on you maybe, but you're, but you're, but you're slowing them. And, and by capturing them in there, it is, it becomes kind of the ultimate opportunity to, to double somebody when they're yeah. than that. Um, and it, it's kind of the opposite of driving where people run into trouble when they overdrive in a V hole, that's when you're going to get inside roll real fast. Yeah. I, I think that's actually probably how we always have played it. Um, but never had the word for it. So thanks for doing some recon. I like that word actually. Yeah, cool. Think about it. Like think about it, like trying to catch an egg, right? Like you meet someone with too much pressure and you can get burned. Yeah. You slowly, you know, again, like you said, you give the guy ground, but you, you almost absorb him, um, right. absorb the person dodging you to the extent where you didn't really give much to get that look. And then for every body movement that that attackman makes on you, you're, you're matched up so well with them that, that you can read everything. If you're, if you're in a, like we said, in, you know, in a full on driving scenario, trying to push someone out and, and not giving any ground at all. Yeah. Um, you can technically the guy can roll off of you. Right. Quick enough. Right. I kind of feel like it's the cross checking right on right off the initial move. That's really getting them off track and almost encouraging them to try to get past your bottom hand. And then you can begin to capture them or channel their momentum up and away. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not really even, it's not really even putting your stick in front of them and, and getting away with a little bit of a hold. Um, it's more like, like we said, you get, you get a cross check, you get guys off their line a little bit. And then your next move is as they re dodge you essentially, or, or try to get a better angle towards the goal, you know, they're running into you and you've already kind of positioned yourself appropriately to, to capture or absorb rather than putting your stick out in front of them and like pulling them towards you in like the manner of a hold. Um, Cause you want to be, you want to, you know, it forces you to play with your hands and your body more than your stick. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely part of it. I mean like, you know, Q Albany, Notre Dame, 2015 right. and, and just watch Matt do it against Lyle. Was yeah. that the one in Denver? Yeah. Yeah. That was sick. I was at the- He gives a lot of ground in it. Yeah, totally. And you kind of have to. And I think, you know, you can give it, but you can also, you can also kind of attack the space too and, and get it back. And I think that's the kind of cat and mouse game. That you right. I think you, I think the round before that and like, you know, Fletcher was a Tauraton finalist and, and, um, you know, all world defenseman, but the game before that was Loyola, uh, Albany, I believe. Yeah. Um, unless that was 2010. I, whenever Blaze scored, Blaze scored against Cornell and then we played Albany and then the year, one of the years before after that was Loyola. But it seemed like that game, um, Fletcher was letting Lyle get to five and five too much. And then it became a shoving match. Yeah. And Lyle was getting those backhanded shots or if, 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 um, you know, Fletcher bit on him inside rolling, he would just roll the other way and shoot it. Um, so if you look at where both of them, you know, in relation to the goal 
got into their V holds or their cross checks. Matt's is a little shallower than where Lyle was getting to against Fletcher. Yeah. And, and, and I, and again, that was lefty on righty with Fletcher, right? So he was playing to his cross check hand. Yeah. Whereas against Matt was against the V hold. And I think right there is kind of textbook why the V hold works so well. It, yeah. it just was deterring his top side and was playing good defense on his back. I feel like in both of those matchups with, with Landis against Lyle, uh, Lyle was held below his average. You know, which yeah, was, I mean, when your average is eight goals a game, know, whatever you doing. But, yeah, I know what you mean. the average. Like his par for the course. Yeah. Five, I mean, six, six points. He just didn't have 6.7 points. Right, exactly. Exactly. I have a theory on Beholds, um, having watched Notre Dame play a lot, which is – and it's not just Beholds, but it's, it's Beholds and the way you guys practice. Okay, so – one of the teams that takes the fewest penalties every single year, um, which means that your emphasis is, wouldn't be on taking the ball away and checking. Right. Uh, however, uh, my theory is, is that the way you guys learn how to play defense with your V-holds actually created a bunch of checkers <laughs> that know how to check in the context of being safe and actually not trying to take it away. But you just learn – the value of your of the right on right depth and the feel and the leverage and then all of a sudden it's just there and a ding dong will be there and the occasional over the head will be there right and, and if you really need the ball back you just learn how to do this and i was curious about your thoughts on that that theory yeah we we never really like had as much free range as other other players had even though we had guys that could certainly take the ball away and had done it um but you know, part of it was was being disciplined, right? And and you know, doing what everyone expected you to do so that the defense would work efficiently. Yeah. Um, but in the context of how we play defense, then creating opportunities for us to take the ball away on one on one matchups, I think you know we had those, and and you know, at the again, like I said, at the at the at the risk of playing good defense didn't really go for them, but the opportunities were there. Like I think the emphasis on getting a good jab onto a guy when he starts his dodge, again, leaves opportunity for you to get into ding dongs or over the heads or even a back wrap here and there, um, just because you're knocking guys off their line. Um, But the, but which is why I think everyone has a strong preference, not only because of the behold, but to have a right on right matchup because you're not really giving up much by throwing, you know, the ding dong or the over the head, as long as you can keep your feet moving and, and have the discipline to then set up into the V hold. Um, but you look at somebody like Garrett who towards like his June towards his senior year, excuse me, um, started to kind of go after guys on like his lefty on lefty matchup. He'd go into the V hold and he'd get guys with ding dongs or he'd get guys over the head. Um, as they like roll away to get to X, he'd kind of mess with them a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just gives you a feel for. It does. And I think honestly, like, you know, you guys do so many, did so many one-on-ones against defense, against defense across the field in little keep away type of situations. And it was constantly just learning how to approach with your lead poke, learn how to like, play a double or triple move, get your V-hold in there. And 
It's just this over the course of time feel for the leverage and the depth of your stick and what you can and cannot do that translates. And I think there's a whole generation of defensemen that never do that because they've never been taught this. So all they really know how to do is cross check you and whack you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, honestly, I think if the the defensive philosophy at a younger age was a lot more emphasis on very disciplined defense, which unfortunately it just won't really be that way because kids are going to be kids. Um, but I think if there was a lot more emphasis on very discipline, you know, lead poke, no heavy, no heavy rap checks, um, V holds, just very team oriented, conservative on ball defense. We would actually probably see more takeaway defensemen at a later stage in the game because they've mastered what is like all on ball defensive principles. Um, and then over time are able to recognize scenarios when they could take advantage of opportunities that they see. I think too often you have guys jumping into over the heads, jumping into ding dongs, trying to throw back wraps at X when if they were a lot more patient, I think those opportunities would be there. Yeah. There's no question that the patients, that the opportunities are there and the patience is so key. Right. Like you look at, look at like Sexton or Brian Carolunas. They're not, they set them, they set up checks, right? They don't, they don't go into them. So they, they're playing very disciplined on ball defense. And then the moment that the offensive player stops running North South or becomes less of a threat is when they start setting up opportunities to take the ball away. And I just think, I just think sometimes people don't necessarily realize that. And I'm not saying that from someone who could take away a player. I'm not, but, but I have an understanding of it. And, and um, there's, less emphasis on, I guess, the setup and core principles of defense rather than just actually going out and doing it. No doubt. The last topic I would like to chat about is, is the importance of skill out of defensemen. And I know that, you know, you are programmed to think team defense first. And part of that is being able to play great one-on-one defense as well as you can for as long as you can. But, um, the importance of skill is, is, is huge. And if you look at the level you're playing right now, I mean, everybody has great skills. And frankly, if you look at the level that you played in the ACC conference, just about every defender ended up having great skills. And I think it translates not only to the importance of transition and clearing, especially with the new 22nd clearing clock in mm-hmm. cross, but also in defense, in the ability to knock a ball down, in the ability to – and the ability to behold, it requires skill, honestly, yeah. to be able to do that. And I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was having an interesting conversation the other day about someone, um, you know, asking me, you know, lacrosse aside, who are the best overarching athletes that you've played with? And you can obviously name guys here and there, but – you know, when you get down to it, right, and, and you know, my definition of athlete, right, is someone that can dribble a basketball. Okay. Uh, which, you know, take what you will with that, but I think that that's legit athleticism, right, because it requires a pretty fair amount of coordination. Um, there are a lot of them, but there aren't a ton. Like, there are some guys that are very good lacrosse players and very skilled players and played lacrosse and hockey, who, which are 
in my opinion, probably the two most skilled sports. Um, they can't do that. And it goes to how skill oriented the sports becoming, like you said, it's less brutality and force like a sport like football and less on the fly athleticism than something like basketball that requires a ton of different elements at once and requires you, like you said, to have skill with your stick. Right. And for defensemen especially, and you're you're gonna start seeing it more and more with the shot clock, which I gotta imagine in the next three years it's gonna be the same as the PLL. Because it's, you know, we're just testing rules that are eventually going to be put in place, in my opinion. Um, you're going to see an even more emphasis on defensemen having having much more skill. Um, and part of that, yes, is your ability to knock down passes, to be great off the ground, to be great with your stick. And I don't mean running down the field and swimming, guys, and shooting on the run, but, you know, you can have the best footwork in the world, but if you got brick hands and can't pick up ground balls, yeah. sorry. Um, and the, the evolution of the sport is just becoming a much more skill-oriented sport. And, um, you know, your ability to have a great stick on defense beyond just great footwork and, and knocking passes down or, or taking the ball away or, or um you know, picking up tough ground balls and getting out of there, like somebody like Sexton who can just Indian pick up at will. Right. You're just going to, you're going to start seeing more of that. No doubt. And, and it's not, it's not taking emphasis off defense at all. It's just adding versatility. Totally. And it's the, the skill makes your defense better anyways. I mean, there's no question that if you, the more skilled you are, the, the more precise you'll be on a lead poke and the, and the better leverage you'll be able to use on any type of a hold, whether it's a, a, a left on right, or a left on left, like whatever you want, you're going to be able to get a feel for that in the depth in the ball pressure and the timing. Um, and then, you know, the tough ground ball, the one-time ground ball, you know, and it's also about getting out of really difficult situations on ground balls that might be, you know, it's not just picking it up. It's can you actually like spin your way or fake your way out of one against two situations and be able to complete a pass to somebody. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's not, you know, I'm a firm believer of defenders defend and offensive players play offense. Um, and if I was a defensive coach somewhere, you know, I'd let guys push up the field, but I'd probably put more emphasis on them, you know, getting the ball into the offensive players' hands and getting back. But that, like, box to box or, or arc to arc, if you're talking about the PLL window, is very important for – you know, defensemen have great sticks and great hands in those areas. It's not mutually exclusive. And, you know, it's like kind of like taking like the Canadians that don't grow up playing with long poles very much. I mean, the Canadian field season is, is like the month of May. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise yeah. it's all box. And that's by the way, during box season, but yet there's Canadian defensemen coming out regularly, kind of like kicked off with Brody Merrill as one of the great all time defensemen but there's there's tons of them now and they can compete with the usa on yeah. an international stage and it used to be that defensively they couldn't but now they can and it's really just because their skills their athletes 
everybody can learn to play disciplined team defense. If right. My player, but they've got the advantage that they have is they have instant skill because of box across. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, yeah, you hit it right on the head there. Like guys that guys that just get it is really what it comes down to. They understand the game so well that they just have a read for, for spatial awareness where what the offense is trying to accomplish and, and can play accordingly. Right. I mean, you look at Brody, like he's been playing forever and he's got some of the greatest last season had some of the greatest ground ball pickups under pressure. Ever. You know, out of anybody in the league. Yeah. He's skilled, you know, and, and, and he's a great one-on-one defenseman as defender as well. And that's, you know, that's key point number one, but like you can just tell he gets it. Yeah, no doubt. I actually think that skill improvement and I don't just mean like go practice your overpasses and, and go practice your ground balls and stuff, but I mean like to become really skilled, to be skilled enough that, you know, you could play offense, to be skilled enough that you're one of the most skilled players on the team. To be skilled enough like Brody Merrill, who when I first saw him play when he was like 18, he was top center on the power play in the Ontario final against St. Catharines. And I was like, wait a minute, that guy's a pole? <laughs> I think that's the opportunity that most defensemen don't realize they have is to become super skilled, skilled enough that your high school coach would consider putting you on man up skilled enough that you're just like the most skilled guy. Um, I, I think that's the opportunity that many defensemen, young defensemen don't realize they have. Yeah. Agreed. And again, it's, um, you know, I'm coming from a very defensive oriented mindset. So, um, I definitely have less emphasis on it than, than others might, but especially guys like guys that are poles that could do it. Like I, I say his name all the time, but like Sexton could play man up for us. Totally. And that, but that you, you guys recruited that. So you could foot put the majority of your emphasis on defense, you know, yeah. talking about like kids with their opportunities, like Sexton is so skilled. If he wasn't, if he didn't have the skills, he wouldn't have been the same player. His skillfulness made him what he was. And while not everybody at Notre Dame has skills like that, I mean, Epple was pretty damn skilled. I mean, these guys are skilled, skilled players. Yeah. He's got good hands. Epple definitely does. And and, and it definitely was not at the expense of any defense. Right. If that makes sense. There there are times where where guys can be – guys can certainly be liabilities, trying to get up the field, trying to pick off passes – trying to do too much but um which is why i think that that where i think the emphasis is is like between the between the boxes you know and that and that like whatever we the danger zone or whatever you want to call it right that that area that's you know 20 yards on either side of the midline um is where they're going to have your biggest impact no question. I mean, we're talking about two different things, too, because we're talking about skills and we're talking about decisions and we're talking about defensive mentality. And the fact is, to win a championship, they're all really, really important. Um, it's just my – I think a lot of the upside, I guess, is what I'm saying is, you know, you got to practice it all. But there's a lot of upside for these, these, these kids that grow up basically relegated to just playing defense all the time. I think the kids – like the Canadians that get to play all position, no position for very a lot of the year actually have an advantage when it comes down to picking up a pole. Now they can focus on it and they've got the skills, they've got the IQ, and now they can just focus on playing great defense. 
Yeah, agreed. I'm definitely a proponent of, of um, getting, you know, if you have the access to it, of having a short stick in your hands, you know, every once in a while, you know, getting like, getting some reps, just moving the ball around, um, you know, developing skills as a short stick. I, again, like I said, I, you know, in my upbringing, I didn't really get that opportunity. But I think it would have been great just to develop, you know, softness of hands, the ability to, to, to really move the ball around, shoot it, understand how offenses work. Yeah. It's only going to, it's only going to help you on the other side. No doubt. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you get recruited by a place like Notre Dame, you get to start on the scout team and then move up to being a starter on the actual team and then play pro lacrosse. Starter on the scout team, baby, write it down. Love it. Eddie, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I love talking lacrosse with you and um, stay healthy, stay safe. And thanks for coming on the show. You got it, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Roll Woods. Roll Woods. All right. See you, man. Yeah. I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the Airgate. Well, that was me in goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. Time.